Uh, <laughs> are you lonely there, Victoria? Well, Murray and Keo, come and sit with Victoria, honestly. They would love that. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about gorgeous married young couples. Um, actually, we won't be here next weekend. We're going to Dubbo. Do you remember Toddy Daniels? You. You. <laughs> so uh, I'm taking his wedding. Um, that seems to mainly be what I do these days is just take young people's weddings, which is good. So we're going to Dubbo. Where's that? <laughs> I'll soon find out. Um, Victoria and I, we're just back from a few days' holidays. We had a great time down in Jarvis Bay, staying in a glamping site. Uh, for those who don't know what glamping is, it's camping for people who are a bit precious, who still need a king bed and a bathtub in the tent, and a five-star dining option on site. So we had a great time. Um, on the Thursday, we went to Jamboree Water Park on the way home. And we literally walked in, and there was Lisa and Bruce Dando and their kids, and that just made it so much more fun. Um, so we are thinking next year around Easter, I say we have an all-in South Coast church day at Jamboree. Who's with me? Because nothing bonds a church together like the adults walking around in their Speedos and Summers. Uh, so no, board shorts are a good option. All right, so we've had a good holiday, so we are feeling refreshed and uh, we're feeling ready to go. We're diving back into our series on the book of Ephesians and we're nearing halfway. Uh, Just a reminder on the Bible Project guys, whatever they're called, their diagram. Um, They've done this fantastic mapping out of what the book is about and we are making some progress. We are into chapter three. So today's passage actually covers... Um, some of the things that are in chapter 2. Paul kind of does this passage we're about to read as an aside, and then he obviously just keeps writing, and then he goes back to his main thread of thought. Um, So it's already going to cover some of the things like the new humanity formed between Jews and Gentiles through Jesus. So what I want us to focus on is just a couple of the verses um, that is new material, knowing that we're not far away from the big pivot. Because basically Ephesians is two parts, one to three, which is the gospel story. Remember Paul had done two years of planting the church in Ephesus and um, he reminds them of what the, what the story is. Why don't we go back to that, Gus? Um, he reminds them of what the, the story of the gospel is. That you've been forgiven. That you've been redeemed out of slavery to sin. Uh, that you've received unmerited favour, the grace of God, uh, that you have become a child of God in his family. And then we're just about to pivot to the second half of the book, which is basically, so now that we know the gospel, how then shall we live? You know, how do we live a life that's worthy of this calling that we've received? And that's actually, that's Ephesians 4.1. You know, and then you spend the rest of your life, don't you, going, in light of the amazing good news of Jesus... How do I now walk this out in my, my relationships and my work and my, my, my speech and telling the truth? And it's going to be good. All right. So we've been helped in this series by a, a course I took on Ephesians by my old preaching and New Testament professor at Regent College in Vancouver, a guy called Daryl Johnson. Um, I did this course on Ephesians and then I've been re-listening to get some insights. So, hence why I suddenly speak Greek, church. Um, 
But I got to this section and he basically said he didn't have time and he just kind of skipped over the whole thing. So we're flying solo tonight. What could possibly go wrong? But it is an interesting passage we're about to get to because as I mentioned, Paul in one sense revisits or expands on what he had already covered in Ephesians 2 uh, that we looked at on Good Friday. New humanity. Because we now have peace with God, there is now peace between Jews and Gentiles, between all races, between all genders, between all classes, which means we can dine together in this new humanity, this new fellowship and break bread. I told the story on Good Friday about my South African friends who during apartheid, uh, black families and white families highly illegally would meet in each other's homes and have dinner together. Because it doesn't matter what the world tries to divide us with, if we're in Christ, we have everything in common. And that's why, you know, the old saying, eating together turns enemies into friends. And there's no greater meal to share, is there, than coming around and having communion, remembering Christ broken, uh, his blood shed, and sharing that meal together. But here's the thing, for that to happen, for remarkable reconciliation to occur, it has to start somewhere. And it starts for Paul with them hearing the good news. For Paul, it started with becoming a messenger of the gospel after his revelation. Remember we talked about how he had that apocalypso, that that revealing of Jesus, the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. And after that, his life was changed. He became a messenger of the good news. So in this next section of Ephesians, Paul is going to remind us of his mission to the Gentiles. That's basically all of us. Which brings us into the promises of the gospel, the boundless riches of knowing Christ. And what we're going to see is that Paul basically saw his role as revealing the mysteries of God, uh, now made manifest through Jesus that brings us all into this new family where we have peace together. So let's listen. Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. But his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, 
which are for your glory. For Paul, this part of the letter to the Ephesians was deeply personal. Uh, He is recounting how he found himself a servant, verse 7, in the great unravelling story of God's mission in the world. Now, you guys know the story. God begins his involvement in the book of Genesis with one guy, one family, Abraham. And he pulls him out of obscurity and he says this promise to him that he would bless Abraham's family. And then all nations, all families would be blessed through that one family. Guys, if you want a reason to become a Christian, there it is. That's come true. Literally, look around the world today, two and a half billion people who are descendants of Abraham, who can trace their lineage to that promise. It has occurred. So he says to Abraham that I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the nations. From that story, God then reveals his character and faithfulness to the people who become Israel through ups and downs of their nation. Slavery in Egypt, the the great story of the Exodus, the giving of the law, the settlement of the promised land, the beginning of the kingdoms like David's. And it's all about God revealing himself to and through a people, right? That's what God's in the business of doing. He wants to manifest his glory, his nature, his essence. And he does it through being in relationship to a people and then through those people. But here's the thing. It's always this tension between them being set apart from the other nations, the the Gentiles, basically us, right? And then their mission, which from the very start was clearly to be a blessing to all nations. So that's the tension. Don't be like those other people. Don't worship their gods and get involved in their immorality and get up to that kind of trouble. But at the same time, be involved with those people by blessing them and being a light to the nations. So Paul says, you know what? It's a bit of a mystery. It's a bit of a mystery that God has chosen to act through a people. But now, he says, the time has come when God's mission of forming a new humanity now through Jesus is going to expand that promise to all nations. And that's what we're a part of. Amen. And Paul gets chosen to explain this mystery to people like the Ephesians. That's why you read about it in the book of Acts. He had the revelation and then he goes to Ephesus and brings the revelation to those people. That in Jesus, verse 6, they all become sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That's the mystery that Paul is now revealing. Um, Leslie Newbigin, who was a missionary to India, um, spent about 30 years as a missionary to India, was involved with Gandhi and teaching non-violence and all kinds of stuff. He left the UK when everyone went to church and he came back 30 years later and no one went to church. And so he's been very helpful in helping people understand the gospel in a pluralistic society, right? Because we live in an age, don't we, where there's lots of truth, lots of religions, lots of beliefs, no beliefs. And so how do you explain the gospel in that situation? Because it's a bit of of a mystery, right? Like, why would God do the things the way that he does? Like, I was asking, like, seriously, why? I was hoping someone would answer there. And kind of maybe reveal it to me. But why, why, do, why start with one people? 
And then why choose this one particular moment in time to bring it all together in the person of Jesus who reveals the glory of God? And what do we do with other religions? Uh, what do we do with other claims on truth? What about this? What about that? You know, and uh, some of the big questions are what do you do with people who haven't heard the gospel? You know, verse 5 in this passage we read, it even references just people in other generations to whom this mystery was not revealed. It's a bit of a mystery. I don't know. But ultimately in these things, you know, I've had to hold on to the things I do know about God, right? How he has revealed himself in Christ and his goodness and his promises. And a lot of this other stuff, I've just had to trust God, his character, and that his ways are higher than my ways. You know, when it comes to judgment, he, he, he is the judge, not me. But Newbegin called the gospel the open secret because what we believe is that the mysteries of God are no longer a mystery. The secret is now open. That's what John 1 says, doesn't it? The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We've seen his glory. We've seen God. It says he came full of grace and truth. So Paul in verse 9 says his role in preaching is to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. So while it still needs to be preached, in other words, the mystery still needs to be explained, it's open. It's no longer like a secret we're trying to hold to ourselves. It is a free gift that is available to you and to me. And I love that. You know, it's a secret that, you know, in, in, in the country that we live in, the vast majority of the people could not articulate what they're rejecting. They, they couldn't articulate what the Christian message is. You know, many young people only know Jesus as a swear word. But it is open in the fact that it is to be preached freely to all. Leslie Newbigin said this, It is entrusted to those whom God has given the gift of faith by which the weakness and the foolishness of the cross is known as the power and wisdom of God. Amen. That's good, right? And, and that's it. You know, it's not like we're in on something where we're better than everyone else. We've just recognised that in the cross, what looked like a defeat, what looked like foolishness, is actually the glory of God. That on the cross, God is revealing that he is love, that he is mercy, that he wants you to be, beckons you into relationship. So Paul in verse 2 calls the administration of God's grace. That is what he saw as his role. Administering the grace of God, the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. He says, that was given to me for you. And that's what we do as well, right? It's like Dan, Dan got the mystery revealed. And now Dan's job is to reveal it to someone else. And Kendall got wrapped up in this story of a family that would bless all the nations. And she's a part of that family now. And now she just says to other people, come, come receive God's grace and mercy. And you too can be a part of this. So Paul saw himself as playing that part in the story of the unfolding revelation of God to the world. Right? He saw himself as part of the family that was now going to bless all the other families on earth. Read about it in the book of Acts. All right, verse 2, it goes on. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. And that is kind of the open secret that God has now revealed himself. We are the people of the revelation. 
You know, Christians could be described in lots of different ways, but one of the ways that we can describe ourselves as people of the revelation. And we need revelation. Um, You could ask me, or I could ask you, what do you think my oldest brother looks like? You know, he lives down in Melbourne, uh, comes up to Sydney not that often. But you could guess what my brother looks at, maybe. Maybe by looking a bit at me. Yeah, maybe he's a bit bald. Uh, you know, my doctor said to me recently that I'm a bit short for my weight. Uh, <laughs> I was like, hang on. And I'm paying you? All right. But at Easter, my oldest brother came up to Sydney and he was here on Easter Sunday. And many of you met him here at church. And, 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 and it's, it's deeply annoying to me because he's six foot four and got a full head of hair. But, but it was a mystery, right? Like, what's he like? What's he look like? What's he... But then he walks in the room and you get to know him. And all of a sudden you can be in relationship. And that's what Paul did. That's what we are to do. We introduce people to who we believe God is. And remember, we looked at that word a few weeks ago before Easter. Revelation is that Greek word apocalypso. It means the opening of the door or the pulling back of the curtain. It means revealing what has been hidden up until now. And so that's the challenge tonight. Play your part in the great revealing of the mysteries of God. You know, I took Jonathan and Jacqueline's wedding yesterday and it was such a joyful occasion. And one of my privileges is, particularly yesterday, you know, it was largely a non-Christian wedding, uh, all, all the guests. And I get to talk about how beautiful Jesus is. You know, he's the one who saves. He's the one who teaches us how to love unconditionally. He's the one who can be the circuit breaker when we're fighting to introduce grace. And so you get to reveal the mysteries to the people you meet. So you can play your part in the mission of God. You know, you don't have to know all the mystery, the finer details. You just need to help people have some kind of apocalypse. You need people to have some kind of insight into the revealing of who God is through Jesus Christ. Maybe you just start by sharing your story of meeting him. You don't, people can't refute that. You know, can't get angry at the fact that you're saying my life's been changed by meeting Jesus. Or maybe something that he's done to change your life. But the story of being a part of God's family and blessing others continues through you. Right? Murray gets the revelation, shares the revelation with someone else. Victoria gets the revelation, shares it with someone else. Pete gets the revelation, shares it with someone else. Now there's two and a half billion of us. It's working out okay. All right, you can do it. Remember the great theologian who came to this church, comedian Uncle Nath? He said, if you say nothing, nothing will happen. If you say something, something will happen. Right? Actually, by the time we finished Ephesians, I've booked him to come and preach again. I figure you're all going to need a good laugh, right? Because we've got like about 70 more weeks of this. All right. Here's what I want to focus and finish on today is what is that message? What is the heart of what Paul preached? As we have seen in the first two chapters in Ephesians, it is glorious. It includes a lot of things. Redemption from slavery to sin, forgiveness, adoption into God's family, undeserved grace from God to us, a gift we cannot earn. But I love verse 8 of Ephesians 3. Because I think Paul is summarising in this little verse the whole thing. For Paul, who had poured his whole life into following Jesus since that encounter on the road to Damascus, the message could be described as the boundless riches 
of Christ. Isn't that good? Amen. Verse 8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. That's how Paul saw himself. Don't let your pastor ever get a big head, right? The Apostle Paul saw himself as the least of all people. In other places, he describes himself as the chief sinner. You know, this is, this is the great Apostle Paul. But he says, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. How good is that? The Greek word for riches is plutos. It means a plentiful supply, an abundance, a plentitude. So plutos literally described in Greek material prosperity, riches and wealth. It refers to having an abundance of possessions way above what's normal. In other words, living in and around manly, right? And from it, we get words in English like plutocrat. We just put together two Greek words, Pluto, wealth, crap, power, a wealthy, powerful person. So Paul preached to the Gentiles in Ephesus the boundless Plutos of Christ, the boundless riches of Christ. Now we'll get to the implications for this in a bit, including whether financial blessings are meant from being a Christ follower. But I think what is obvious from what is written by Paul is that primarily he is talking about the spiritual riches we have in following Jesus. That's his story. That in Christ, he had received the boundless riches of Christ. I love that. Paul is writing from prison. (laughs) He's wasting away in a Roman prison cell. And he basically says, I'm the richest man in the world. Because what Christ has done in my life and in my heart, I am the richest person in the world. And I wonder, like, when you go through hard stuff, will you be able to say that? Because your identity is so deep in Christ that no matter what's thrown at you, I'm the richest person in the world. And I was literally in awe at what he had inherited from God. You know, forget with Paul, he'd gone from a hate-filled persecutor of Christians to the messenger of the love of Christ. You know, it always struck, I was at that wedding yesterday and I'm preaching on 1 Corinthians 13. The one who spoke about love being patient and kind and not keeping a record of wrongs and not envying. He's the one who used to kill the Christians. I mean, that's a good conversion story. But one New Testament commentator, Ken Hughes, put it this way. This is good. What are the implications of this? Primarily that Christ always enriches life. Christ never subtracts from life. He always enriches it with untrackable riches. Right? That's big. Every part of your life that Christ touches, he will enrich. And it's big because in preaching Christ, right, we're not preaching that people join some miserable self-flagellation society that hates on itself. We are preaching the boundless riches of Christ. Come into his family. Come join in. And receive from God the boundless riches of knowing him. And it's big in our own lives. Surely from following Jesus, we too, like Paul, should be able to testify to the abundant things, the wealth of blessings that we have received. Right? Can you think of an area of your life that knowing Jesus will not enrich? Your relationship with God, clearly enriched. Your relationships, particularly your marriage, clearly enriched. Your sense of purpose, clearly enriched. Having community and friendship, 
clearly enriched. I mean, are you with me? I mean, in becoming a Christian, can you not testify that following Jesus has helped? This is John 10.10 stuff. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have life to the full. 2 Corinthians 4, we have treasures in these jars of clay. 1 Timothy 1 tells us, the grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly. So if it's not an area of our lives that knowing and following Christ will not enrich. And if I could just get personal for a minute, I'm so grateful that I'm a Christian. You know, I'm saved. Uh, you know, and uh, 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 when I talk about being, I am saved from the negative, right? I am saved from my dispositions and my tendencies and my destructive nature. But in the positive, I am saved into such a blessed life, enriched in every way. And, you know, I don't know what life would look like for me if I wasn't a follower of Jesus. So think about how Jesus enriches and changes your life. I was reading an article this week about Abraham Piper in the New York Times. Did anyone see that? No, you guys like read the Daily Telegraph. It's all right. It's fun. Um, now, Abraham Piper is the son of a well-known American pastor called John Piper. Who's, he's a good preacher. Um, but Abraham Piper has rejected the Christian faith. He's rejected his family's faith. And he's amassed almost a million TikTok followers. Don't know what TikTok is, but he's got a million TikToks. Uh, And he puts out these pithy videos mocking the Christian faith. And he's a smart guy. He studied philosophy. And I get that he's probably reacting against a certain strain of evangelical faith. Who knows what his upbringing was like. But here's the thing. And I've heard him say this in these videos. His basic message to young people is, like, just throw off the shackles of your faith, get drunk, and go get laid. Right? He's like, that, there's no meaning to life. He's got this one video, it's like, there's no purpose in life. He's quite nihilistic. But he's just like, go enjoy yourself. Go do whatever you think will make you happy. But it makes me sad because, you know, here's the thing. I feel the exact opposite. I just feel the exact opposite to what he is saying. Right? Following Jesus will will never subtract from your life. It will only enrich every area that it touches. In your relationships, it may become evident that it's not about getting laid or just getting your way in any relationship that you're in. Right, Following Jesus, if you, if you do it and you're obedient and you put it into practice, will teach you how to love unconditionally, to forgive when you are hurt, to serve when you only feel like being served. Everything Jesus touches in your life, if you're obedient, if you put it into practice, will help. You will have a better marriage if you're both following Christ. Right, Paul preached the boundless riches of Christ. Think about the purpose you can have in being a child of the kingdom of God. As it says in Ephesians 2, created to do good works. We are God's handiwork. When we follow Jesus, life is not meaningless. It becomes about being part of the light, overcoming the darkness. And so get involved in some really worthy causes. Use your gifts and your life 
to push back against all the crap and the darkness that's in this world with the light that Christ has poured into your heart. You know, care about the poor. Care about the marginalised, the broken. Get involved in Homes of Hope. Support the Manly Women's Shelter. Right, think of community and friendship, how, how it is enriched by knowing Christ. That dinner we had here on Good Friday, I mean, how good was that? A couple of hundred people here sharing a meal. Every race, every class, all the genders, you know, it's kind of like we're just here doing life together because of, we have peace in Christ. There is room at the table. We become part of God's new humanity. And what about our finances? Okay, a bit more controversial. Now we know Christianity is not a tool to make you rich, right? And uh, I've got dear friends who live in the slums in Nairobi, Kenya. Christianity is not a ticket to becoming a millionaire. Indeed, if anything, following Jesus should make you generous. Hello, church. And we are warned about the dangers of loving money. But I am always amazed at how when Jesus gets hold of a life, it can create the conditions to succeed. Right? You with me? Now, I need to be careful here. But the reality is that integrity and hard work and making wise investments are Christian values. And you should also, on the negative, be spared from the folly of get-rich-quick schemes. Or cheating your way to the top or not paying your taxes and getting caught out and going to jail or whatever it might be. There is a solid rock that Jesus puts under our feet that allows us to get focused and purposeful and wise. You know, you get this kind of stream that you know, the church is persecuted in the West and you know, we're being silenced and all that. And I get bits of it. But like it was a couple of years ago, the premier of our state went to the same Bible college in Canada as me. The, the, the governor of the Reserve Bank was a Baptist bass player from the Shire and the head of the police in New South Wales was also a born-again Christian. Following Christ can help you do great things in your life. How good, hey? Never an area that Jesus subtracts, only the promise of enriching our lives. The boundless riches of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.